When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not um, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Red All Over. I'm your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 83. And if you want to listen to this one in our previous 82 or so episodes, feel free to like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you like, you can also listen to us on our website, blackandwhiteredallover.com. And with the usual business out of the way we shall try and have a more offensive and entertaining kind of day as compared to what we just watched a few hours ago so hello sam i certainly think that we could muster a couple of shots at the team as opposed to the team mustering shots at milan's goal i think we can definitely outperform them in that way don't you Gary? yes yes we've got our loyal dutchman hello chucks Hey, yeah, it, it definitely wasn't champagne football today, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's break it all down and, uh, well, I don't know, have alcohol-free champagne? <laughs> alcohol-free champagne. <laughs> I guess that's the closest equivalent I can come, uh, come up with. <laughs> and last but not least, back from his week off in Vegas, Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Hey, fellas. Happy to be here. Uh, I, I did notice you said offensive, so... Is this the episode would get canceled? Like, is this the one? Did we make like how many episodes before we we finally managed to to do something really really like offensive? Yes, the the woke mob might be coming for us. 
that sounds that sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, Sergio, I'm going to throw it right back to you since you weren't here last week. Your takeaway from the week that was. It was like every week before it, and I'm guessing every week after it. Uh, just just some good, some bad, some some boring. And, you know, like like Danny said, like I was I was tweeting, actually, you know, I didn't really get to catch the, the Copa Italia game live, but I saw some of the replays. I saw some of the highlights. You know, you, you could see a lot of good stuff going on with the club. But then back again, you turn around, you face one of the better teams in, in Serie A and you know, you, you get kind of like the same grindy style, kind of like everything is hard. And and that's kind of what how this team has continued to be, right? Like everything is hard. Like nothing comes easy for this team, just especially in the offensive side, but in general, like just nothing comes easy for, for this club right now. And, you know, I was, I was noticing against Milan, especially, you know, when pretty much only out of like two or three players, have like a decent first touch and everyone else is just kind of like a rough first touch or like they go backwards or they have to like they, there's no fluidity and that just it's it's rough watching but if you want to look on the bright side I guess they're not leaking goals anymore so you know there's always you can always find good things bad things and boring things with Juventus this year as we go in reverse order around my zoom window Chucks you're up next bud Oh, you have the same Zoom window as I do. Oh, remarkable. <laughs> um, yeah, um, my takeaway is that, you know, clearly in January, it seems, I mean, we have, what, seven, eight days? Uh, what is it today? Yeah, about eight days uh, left of the month. Um, pretty clear to me that we're not going to make any signings uh, in the transfer window, uh, in this transfer window, which is fine. But uh, what I did notice, or I guess kind of thought about or just kind of hit me today slash this week was that, you know, having bad players that or players that we had written off and just said, okay, he's a wash. Let's, you know, can't wait to get rid of him. When those players somehow surprisingly have a good run of form again, it is like a new signing. Um, you know, it's, it might sound a little cliche, but it really is like a new signing. And in this, this case, I'm talking about two semi new signings, which are uh, Daniele Vugani and uh, Mattia De Cilio, who have just, yeah, played very well recently. Um, you know, credit where credit is due. Um, I mean, you know, sample size of what, four or five-ish games, I think. But um, yeah, I mean, this, just again, this week and, you know, today against Milan, just, yeah, realizing again, like, wow, if we actually somehow have players that, um, you know, for whatever reason, uh, when they were just written off and just playing terribly, um, when they suddenly out of nowhere come back again and play well, you know, same counts for Bernadeschi, um, that, yeah, it feels like a new signing. And that is very helpful when we're not making any signings. So, uh, you know, long may it last. I will say, Chuck, there were a few points, and we'll obviously get into more about the Milan game later. There were a few points where Rafael Leao made Mr. DeShiglio look he did more than just a little silly. <laughs> yeah, although that yeah, Leo just has pace to burn. I yes. mean, he's so fast. But yeah, no, I, I did. There were some very nervy moments, but I mean, overall, I mean, given especially the difference in pace uh, between the two, I think uh, came out relatively uh, unharmed. But yeah, there uh, it was. It was the nice, definitely. All right, Sam, what you got for us? Uh, I got for the last couple of months, Dusan Vlaovic has been the name on everybody's lips when it comes to Juventus and transfers either in the, the winter window or in the summer window next year. We really have to start talking about the fact that Dusan Vlaovic is not going to do anything for this team if 
the rest of the team can't actually create a chance. And we saw that today in the Milan game where we're looking at a team that this wasn't just a, a matter of like the team wasn't getting the, the final ball in. They, were, they weren't even getting the third to last or fourth to last ball in. Like this was a really rough game when it came to, to Juventus putting the ball forward. I mean, Alvaro Morata didn't have a particularly good game in his holdup play either, but you can also, but you also can't really say you can't be too, too harsh on him because he only had really the one opportunity again uh, to, to put a ball on frame because nothing was being created. It, it's it, it and it it shows again that you know the way that especially the midfield Manuel Locatelli is good although even he wasn't playing particularly well today that had to do with I think a, a number of factors the, but apart from from Locatelli the midfield doesn't have a good mix of players and it doesn't necessarily have the right guys that can that can get you. They, they can get you where you need to go, get the ball where it needs to go to even create the opportunity. Juventus didn't have a single shot on target today. They barely had a shot, period. They, you know, they didn't have very many shots, period. Flavic isn't going to do anything if he does come either this window or next, if he doesn't have the ball in front of goal. And I, I think that it's the first focus needs to be on getting the players that will do that. And then we can focus on the guys who are going to finish the chances later. So let me just be clear. You are disagreeing with Tuto sports headline in Monday morning's paper where it says, Juve, you need Vlaovic. Uh, yeah, I kind of am because what, what would Vlaovic have done? What would Vlaovic, tell me what, tell me what difference Dusan Vlaovic would have made for Juventus uh, on in this game. What he would have probably had the exact same header that he had from that cross from Juan before Juan went off. And other than, or, or was that even DeShulio with the cross? I think it was DeShulio with the cross. And yes, it was. Yeah, it was DeShulio with the cross. But that was, I mean, Morata had one opportunity, Kane had none. The only other one was, was McKenney. There's nothing that Vlaovic would change if he's not getting the ball. And the way the team is playing right now, he wouldn't be getting the ball. So he wouldn't be able to put the ball in the net anyway. And on a related note, my short takeaway comes on the same day in which he underwent knee surgery on his torn ACL is that I miss Federico Chiesa. I, I miss him terribly as well. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I was, was that... going to make that point too, actually, like kind of the poetic well, strangely poetic justice of on the day that we got the news that uh, Chiesa is going to miss seven months of action. Not um, not just on the day, Chucks. Ten minutes before kickoff. Ten, uh, even that close <laughs> that we had arguably our worst uh, offensive performance uh, of the season with a grand total of zero shots on target. Yeah, and that that's obviously where we're going to put our focus this week is that Juventus had a, and I've said it in pretty much everything I've written a last 24 hours they had a golden opportunity to get into fourth place with Atalanta playing out ironically a scoreless draw against Lazio on Saturday and instead of you know coming out firing and and looking dangerous they did about the opposite of that and I think in some ways they were lucky to get into the half 
without being behind just the way with Milan was playing. And I guess we could start the discussion there is, you know, we know that Max Allegri is going to be conservative more often than not that just because that's his nature. But in a game like this, I mean, you, it just, it hurts to, or maybe not hurt, but it, it, it was just tough to see them be as conservative as they were knowing that you go into the international break in fourth place, albeit with Atalanta having a game in hand and you're feeling good about things. And now it's like, okay, yeah, they've, they've still got an unbeaten streak. I believe it's at nine games, but it's not necessarily the same good vibes as would have happened with a win. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think that, you know, the, the problem right now with Juventus is, and it feels like we've been saying it for a year now, and it's, it's as true a year ago as it is now. This is not a bad result in and of itself. You know, Milan is, is a top three team. Uh, they've been playing really well this year. Uh, they've been playing really well for the last couple of seasons, going into their house and really with a pretty shorthanded squad, kind of, you know, beat them, to, like really play them really even. Granted, boring, but even. Uh, you know, it's not... I mean, it's not a bad result, but you started the season so badly and you needed every single result to go your way that now it's like, oh man, that's a bummer that we couldn't beat Milan away. You know, it is it is what it is. It's it's the type of season that they force themselves to have in which they can no longer have okay results. They need a good to great result pretty much every time out. And it is a bit of a, you know, like you said, it's not such a good feel, but it to me, if you want to look at it at a, in a positive light, is that, you know, this team is slowly but surely at least starting to look more like an old Allegri side in the sense that at least they're solid uh, defensively. They're compact. They're not making the early mistakes that we were seeing. There's some progress happening. The offensive part of the game still an issue. It's probably going to remain an issue. But at least you're starting to see a team that is more likely to grind out a result and, and just not make any mistakes and be a tough team to beat, something we were not necessarily seeing early in the year. Uh, so if you still, I, I think if they continue to build on this and they continue to improve and, and they, they still you know continue to be this tough team to beat, I think as a whole in the rest of the season, I think they're going to, I think they're going to be okay. I, I think it's a bummer that like Danny said, they're not in fourth place right now, but as we look into the international break, I am a lot more cautiously optimistic about the, the outlook for this team because they're starting to do the little things right, at least defensively, at least in terms of not making any mistakes and I think that that's something that they can build on moving forward. I mean, they have the third best defense in the league. So that's that's not nothing, right? So I, I do believe that in the long run, teams that are just hard to beat, they're going to be okay much more often than not. Yeah, but you do eventually need to score the goals in order to get the points. And, and yeah, like, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and, and, and look, this, this Milan was really good. You also have to give them props. They're a good team. Like, it's not easy to beat them. They, they were scoring four team. goals. Like, you know, they, they can – this is there was a tough match. This was a tough match. It wasn't a great match. Was, they are a good team. I don't think it was a also, performance, but it was okay considering the, the the circumstances. They're a good team, but also you have to hear – you have to also think about the circumstances of this game in that not only did Juventus have no shots on goal this uh, on target today – they did that against their set against Milan's second choice set of 
center backs and going so far as one of them is a converted fullback in Pierre Kalulu. Like you're going up again, you know, because Simon Kier, you know, he tore his ACL uh, a month or two ago, which, you know, is, is one of the least deserved karmic moments in the history of mankind after what he did this summer when Christian Eriksen had his, had his heart attack for, for him to go down like that is awful. uh, Tomori is out until at least March. Uh, He had keel surgery on his knee. You're looking at Alessio Romagnoli, who hadn't played a game in this calendar year, and a fullback playing center back. To be fair, it's January. It's it, yes, it's true, but still, it's the it, we're almost at the end of January. I was going to say this, and, <laughs> but Romagnoli is, you know, he he still wears the captain's armband when he's on the field, but he is by no means a first choice for Pioli right now, and he is by no means the the up and coming center back that we all thought he was going to be, you know, back when when there were were legitimate thoughts as to Daniele Rugani and Alessio Romagnoli being potentially the the Italy center back pairing of the future. Um, and look at them today. And look at them today. Look at them right. today. Um, Two of the best uh, on the field. Rugani might have been the best on the field. That's uh, th- that was a hell of a performance by by him today. But this was a Milan team that was vulnerable. Yes, they're a good team. They were also vulnerable. And then they lose Ibrahimovic within twenty minutes of the of, of kickoff. You're you know, this was not, you know, Milan's a, a, a good team, not a great team. I don't think they're a good team. They've obviously been good, good for their position in the table right now, but they're still not, a t- you know, they're still not a team that has really made that next step into a genuine, into a genuine trophy threat, but they were vulnerable today. They were playing backups in their defense and Allegri didn't attack them at all. And when you combine that approach with, with just the inability of the team to be able to present the ball to its goal scorers, you know, Morata and Dybala were both dropping into the midfield at the same time in, in certain points of this game, then you, you've got to have, you know, that, that you have to question it. Because, you know, when, when, you, when you have a, a big opportunity, a vulnerable opponent in defense, you know, and, and then you play, play the game. And Mike Menyan, the only thing he really had to do was keep Juan Cuadrado from, uh, from scoring another Olympico in like the second minute when he punched that corner away. That was, which also, correct me if I'm wrong, might have been Juve's only corner of the game. I don't remember another corner. Like th- this was a a flaccid offensive performance at a point where you really couldn't afford that. I I agree, and I, I think there's a lot of valid points you make. I, I'd also want to say we're not good. Like this team is not particularly good. We, they've been showing that for a while, and you know we still have that. That and I, and I count myself for it. It's like oh, this is not Juve. Like just. You know, they were vulnerable. They were there for taking. Like, we should have won that game. It's like, I think we're a similar team. Like, I honestly think we're a similar team. I think, number one, I don't think that we're scoring a whole heck of a lot against any team in general. I mean, of the top nine teams in Serie A, we are the worst offense by at least, like, five or six goals. 
uh, this team struggles to score. It's it, it's a thing, and and we can debate here about whether it's because they they lack a striker or because they, they don't generate chances. That's a whole other discussion. But they just can't score regardless of, of the team. And you know, I think that's just who who they are. And and also, I think you have to give give credit. I mean, that was a great game. I understand that Kalulu, like that's not his natural position, but but he played a hell of a game. Like he was really really good. The same thing that I bet Milan fans are saying, like, oh, we were lined up against Mattia De Sigli and Daniele Rugani. How did we not freaking score on them? Like, it, it's the same thing, right? But Rugani played great. I mean, he, I'm, God knows I'm no fan of him, but he played great. I mean, De Siglio, yeah, he's kind of showing his true colors now, but, you know, they, they played decently. So I, I think it's the same. I think we're similar teams. I think we both struggled. I think it was a grind fest. I, I don't think that this was a game, I agree that it was a game they should have had just because they need the point because they, I mean, they've put themselves in a position that they need to have this team, these type of games. But in general, when you look at the teams, when you look at the state of, the, of, of both teams and what transpired on the field is like, yeah, you can't be happy with it because obviously no shots on goal. That, I mean, you obviously can't be happy with it. But I also don't think it's representative of, uh, you know, something super different than what we've been seeing. I think this is who they are. I think it's a decent result, all things considered. And look, they, credit to Milan. They played a really good team. Dybala was on absolute fire coming into this game. And he had some flashes. He had some moments, but, you know, they, they contained him pretty well. You know, I, I think my hat's off to them. They played really, really well defensively. You know, subs or not, I think they played really well. And you got to give it to them, especially against a team like us that, just struggles to score and, and will probably continue to struggle, probably continue to, to struggle to score and what remains of the season. I think that's just who they are right now. Yeah. And, and just on the point of the offense, again, it's like, uh, I don't think, I think uh, either Sergio, I think Sergio, you mentioned, is it a fault of the strikers that we're not scoring? I mean, I find that, I think that's kind of like the same question we ask when the team is conceding a lot of goals and we're like, oh, our center backs or, uh, or goalies even, oh, are they terrible or not? Uh, no, I mean, just like defending is a team game, team effort. I mean, defending starts from the front, quite literally. You know, attacking likewise is also a team effort. And in terms of our strikers, I mean, they're more than capable enough to score, I mean, more goals uh, for the team than they have already. Obviously, Dybala, we know, is by far our best uh Especially now that Chiesa's injured, he's by far the best uh, attacking player, the most talented one. And then Morata, you know, Morata's no world beater, obviously, but um, he's more than, I still believe, he's more than capable enough to score, you know, 15 goals a season or something. Uh, you know, we're on match day 23, I believe now. That was just match day 23 for us. And Morata has all of five uh, goals. Um, so, you know, I mean, he is more capable he should be you know more yeah he should be able to score more goals but that said I don't think that's really down to him uh for instance from today's game you know I noticed that in general the only player really carrying the ball out of defense slash midfield kind of connecting to the strikers really was Cuadrado um he was the only one that I noticed that was kind of yeah doing that which is I think down to his speed and his definitely his speed over the first, like, you know, five to 10 meters. Um, and just his dribbling ability can kind of, you know, he, he definitely has the ability to like skip past, like, you know, one player and then um, 
drive it forward a little bit and then pass it into Dybala and stuff. And like you said, Sam, you know, uh, Dybala, which he's done, I think, very much recently, is effectively a central midfielder at some times in the, in the game without DP drops. But yeah, I mean, if, if you know, Quadrado is, I mean, a semi-right back, semi-right midfielder, and he's basically, you know, the only one connecting the midfield slash defense uh, with the attack. Um, yeah, I mean, that's not that's not very good. And then if you have half your strike force that, you know, in Dybala, who's basically a central midfield, yeah, you know, you kind of see the problems there. So I don't think it's a lack of talent or ability. I think it's just, just the attacking issues. Not a lack of talent or ability, but some kind of, I don't know, tactical imbalance, something there, I don't know. But uh, that said, like Sergio said, I mean, you know, this team is... I mean, at best, a top four, a fourth place side this season anyway, um, you know, at best, which I think eventually we'll make it. But um, yeah, I mean, we're no we're no world beaters at the same time. We should be better. We should be scoring more, but not dramatically more, I think. Something that you you talked about there, Chucks, in terms of getting the ball out at, out of your own half, connecting the lines. And um, this was talked about on Paramount's post-game show and, and pre-game show once the lineups came out. And, and I'm, I, it's one of the things that I struggle with in terms of trying to figure out what Max Allegri was thinking going into this game was we've seen in the last couple of weeks, if you have Manuel Locatelli and Artur combined in midfield, Juventus has suddenly becomes a much more dangerous attacking side. And we saw that for for the Sampdoria game where, you know, Artur played back and Juve moved forward and they just knocked the stuffing out of Sampdoria and the Coppa Italia headed to, to, to get into the quarterfinals. It bears doing in bigger games than that to see if it works when you have to level up. And not only was Artur on the bench to start today, when he did go on, he came on for Locatelli. Now, there were other reasons for that. Obviously, Locatelli was on a yellow card and had been since the very early parts, parts of the game, and, you, and it was probably a good, good idea for him, to, for him to come off. But it, 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 it makes no sense to me why, you, after, after looking at between the Roma game and, and Sampdoria, to see those two on the pitch and see the difference that it makes with, with our tour farther back and Locatelli moving forward to orchestrate more in the attacking third, that in a game that is such a big opportunity, Allegri declines to do it at all. And then you, and then the result again is a, a, an attack that looked dead. Danny, I, 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 do you remember Late last season, when Bayern Munich, uh, when our, our sister blog at the Bayern Munich uh, at Varian Football Works were talking about reports that Allegri had been connected to the uh, to the Bayern job, and they were very much against it. And one of the reasons they listed on their article was suicidal pragmatism. Yes, it's a very pretty and term. <laughs> it's yeah, the guys at Bayern knew that firsthand when Allegri messed up at the end of that uh, that round of 16 tie and let them back into the game uh, a couple of years ago. But th- this was an example of where that really does apply and fit for Allegri. There was no reason to go into this game not going for it. 
and Allegri kind of didn't go for it. He he took a very outdated, very Italian, stereotypically Italian uh, view of this game, which was to sit back and and hit on the counter for for no reason other than the fact that it was an away game against a, a bigger name club. That that struck a discordant tone with me because when you're Juve are at a point where because they need these results, like Sergio said, because they screwed up so many results at the beginning of the season that they now need every single result that they can possibly get. Why are you, you have, you have to be proactive as opposed to reactive in this situation to get these results. And Allegri is not doing that. And it's, it's really frustrating to see that he's not putting what looks like the best mix of players that he has available onto the field. But then again, that's like, I guess, I, you know, you're right, obviously, but it's like, in a way, we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, we know we've known Allegri for six years now with the club. And unfortunately, that's not, uh, yeah, I guess that's not really a surprise. Just that, you know, everything you just described, like, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's how we know him. So, I mean, he's not going to change. <laughs> At this age, he's not going to change that, uh, I think, as a person and as a uh, coach. You know, just very quickly before you move on, that point about Locatelli, um, you know, that's, yeah, definitely a good point. I just wanted to emphasize that as well. And we, we saw that mostly, or yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll say, yeah, mostly in, um, in the Sampdoria game in the Coppa Italia when, yeah, Locatelli played further forward uh, in midfield and, yeah, looked really very good. I mean, of course... It's Samp, I mean, a very decimated Samp side and, you know, not particularly good. But still, he showed, you know, very positive signs, very, uh, yeah, he seems very comfortable there. I think that's really more to think just that he seemed very comfortable a little higher up the pitch. And that goes back to the old attacking issues of, you know, I don't think it's despite, again, Morata's, you know, lack of uh, <laughs> scoring touch in front of goal. Which, you know, again, partly I think is to be expected, but partly, yeah, you know, he should have a few more goals. But I mean, I, I don't expect Malata to hit anything about 15 uh, league goals anyway this season. But that that's part of the tactical tactical piece of the puzzle of, okay, if you have a player like Locatelli higher up the pitch, then that I speculate, and I think decent reason to speculate there, that that might solve some of the offensive problems because we'll have... Yeah, just better connection between midfield and attack. Uh, you have a player that's, you know, pretty decently creative that high up the pitch. Um, and you don't have Dybala being essentially the only attacking creative, uh, you know, especially in the passing sense, like the, mo- the only passing creative player uh, that high up the pitch. Um, you likely have more chances created for someone like Murata then. And well, I'll assume more goals then as well. So, yeah, just again to kind of reiterate that point of like, it's likely more of a tactical piece of the puzzle to be solved there rather than, you know, get to Zanflaovic <laughs> or anything like you mentioned, Sam. One other bit before we really move on to, to the other thing. Also, again, talking in about Locatelli tangentially, but, you know, he got that yellow card for that that slide in on Tonali which was one of only four yellow cards that Marco Di Bello gave all match. This was a terribly refereed game. Di Bello was more like Di Bruto, if, if you ask me, because the, he, he lost control of that game in the first half. 
Yeah, there was when, so when you've got both managers on on the touchline begging for more yellow cards in the first half. In the first half, there were twenty three combined fouls in the first half. Yeah, and there probably should have been more. And, and yeah, there most probably and and hold on, I just want to look at the actual full on number thirty five. I think. Yeah, yeah it was in the th- I know it's in the total 30. fouls. Yeah, thirty five total fouls in that game, and only four yellow cards. And and we're not and we're also talking like. Like there was one moment where I think it was was it Brahim Diaz who 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 straight up pulled uh, Juan Cuadrado back by the arm as he was breaking away. It was a clear tactical foul and no card. And I just I thought that it was. A, and, a, a and then the same thing the same thing happened to I believe it was Brahim Diaz in the second half. Yeah, and they're begging for a card. <laughs> yeah, they're begging for a card. And come on, and, you know, both teams, both teams, both teams had a a, a semi legitimate chance shout for a penalty. I mean, they were both, you know, both Calabria and Morata went down pretty easy on those plays. But we've seen both of those called before this season. I mean, I mean, my my personal inclination is that neither one of them was a penalty. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, he he let so much go and then you know there was one moment where i think he he totally let go mckenny like shoving somebody over from behind and then bentancor won a ball clean along the sideline and he called a foul on that like this this was a and and this is just and and it's a, a a recurring story and really just not just this game but in general is that the standard of officiating in italy right now is awful awful that you know the days of Pierluigi Colina and Roberto Rossetti are no longer here it it, it sucks it really it really sucks today the officiating I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We want to talk one thing before we get into a few Twitter questions here, and that's a, a story that came out from Tuto Sport a couple of days ago, and it involved uh, Juventus's, I believe, six soon-to-be free agents whose contracts all expire this summer. Uh, the most notable one, obviously, being Paulo Dybala, who we talked about in detail last week after his non-celebration goal celebration or in stare-down of the Juventus front office in the stands. And the story basically evolved around Mauricio Arrivabene's plan, at least from Tuto Sports' knowledge, and obviously as Tuto Sports, so sometimes you have to take things with a grain of salt. But 
it involved Tudor Sport reporting that Juventus is going to ask all six of those soon-to-be free agents to take a pay cut of 15%, which maybe for Carlo Pensolio, hey, you're the third keeper. Okay, that doesn't have a big impact on things. But when it comes to Paulo Dybala, whose contract extension talks have gone on for the better part of two years, taking a 15% pay cut after everything that has happened over the last few months with an offer supposedly being done and then not being done. And now supposedly it's February when the next round of talks will happen between Dybala's camp and Juventus. This is going to make for some interesting contract talks outside of Dybala because you've got Quadrado, you've got Berendeski, you've got the two backup goalkeepers in Perin and Pinsolio, and then uh, Matteo Di Ciglio as well. So this is, from one point of view, this is Juventus obviously trying to lower the, and let me, well, let me start over with that thought. If this turns out to be the truth, this is Juventus obviously trying to bring down their payroll, which has been a top of City off for years. But it's also quite an interesting tactic to take with some very important players who, if they get upset, could conceivably not be part of this team next season. Yeah, it makes me wonder what Areva Bene is really, really thinking. If he actually thinks that he can do this and 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 get away with it, especially when you look at a thing like Paulo Dybala, who, you know, at least, you know, several months ago, you have the reports that we're, that there's a handshake agreement on a raise, and now they're asking him to take a pay cut, coupled with, like, again, that we, we mentioned that last week, this the needlessly antagonistic comments that Arifa Bene made about Dybala in particular. You've also got, you know, as as early as October, I remember hearing an agreement with Quadrado and that, you know, has not come to fruition either. And he's really important as well. If this is true, we're looking at one or one or both of the, of these things is also true. Either Arriva Bene is vastly out of his depth when it comes to negotiating soccer contracts coming in from a place like F1 uh, and he just is inexperienced and is showing it. Or two, this club is so skint that we can't actually operate without this happening. And like it's, it wouldn't take me that, it wouldn't take that much from to convince me that if it wasn't for Exor backing everything up, Juventus would be looking for a buyer right now. You know, are the finances really that bad? You know, and also this is a front office that has been inclined to the overpay for a really long time. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we're doing this now. But you look at when you look at the salaries of guys like Rabio and and Ramsey, but you know, we've been talking about the financial situation of the team for a long time. And this is just yet another situation where yet another part of the situation where this this is bad. Like and and Juve could really be paralyzed when it comes to roster development for quite some time and it makes you think well where is the money for a guy like Vlaovic coming which would be you know 60 or 70 million euros plus a hefty salary none of it adds up and we're gonna have to see how everything goes in the summertime but yeah this this is this is concerning yeah I mean I uh, I'm generally very wary of uh, commenting on speculations 
I, I made the comment, I think, a week or two ago that, you know, with contract negotiations, it's like, uh, you know, we obviously don't know what happens in the background. We don't know what happens in the meeting. So we're quite frankly, all just kind of guessing. But anyway, just kind of speculating, um, which is something I said I wouldn't do. But to do it, don't, <laughs> the only thing I'll, 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 I'll point out is just the, the kind of kind of bizarre inconsistency there so again assuming some kind of speculation there was true about the handshake agreements between uh Guadado and the club and Dybala and the club uh some time ago like a month or two ago or whatever it was assuming that that's true I mean that wasn't a long time ago you know so then for them to again supposedly have okay a handshake agreement for a raise or at least just the same salary and then to go a month or two later, not, you know, not be again, not so long later to then say, oh, actually, never mind. You're not only not getting a raise, you're going back 15%. That if, if, if again, this is all true, which nobody knows, but if again, this is true, to me, it's just the inconsistency there, which tells me that there must be some shocking piece of information that they got between, you know, when they gave those informal agreements to the, you know, the time of this uh, report of, you know, the pay cut. The only thing that could explain that is that, yeah, that there was some kind of catastrophic piece of information that they got that just dramatically changed um, their, 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 uh, yeah, negotiation position or just, yeah, their, I guess, uh, policy on, on, on wages of the club. But yeah, that, that, I mean, that's all I could, yeah, that's all I could really think of and uh, yeah who knows who knows again nobody knows if this is true but yeah i guess i, I agree with chuck's uh, caveat you know we it's it's a true more mill season especially with the international break coming especially with paulo dibala doing his celebration antics public subtweeting thing obviously like the press is going to grasp to that so you know caveat 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 but you know with all that said you know it, it's it's shocking that you know before I remember the the contract extensions for guys like Sami Kedira, who you know I've, I always liked, but no one was really claiming for Sami Kedira to get it renewed. And the renewal was done pretty much like there were no rumors, pretty much no leeway was just done. Period. Like I think a couple other guys were like that. Probably Mario Mansukic. Like we had a couple of renewals like that that were just almost immediately just no hassle, boom, renewed. And I understand that they're not the same amounts of money that they signed for significantly less money than, you know, what Paulo Dybala might be asking for. But it is, it is stark, the difference between how Juventus used to conduct business and how that business is being conducted right now, in which, you know, regardless of what you feel about the renewals of, of I, I think the two most important guys of the, of the ones that are running out of contract, which is, is Paulo Dybala and Juan Cuadrado. I think those two dudes, I mean, it, it's shocking to me that that you don't get that done, that you don't. And, I, and I'm sorry, I think Juan Cuadrado is not like his contract is not expiring. I think to renew him, but whatever. That's another renewal that has been going on for quite a while. Like we've been hearing that they're gonna get that done for months now, and they just don't get it done. So it's it, it is shocking and, and and a very stark difference in how Juventus is is handling this whole renewal business right now. I understand wanting to wait for dudes like. Federico Bernardeschi or Matti Di Siglio, whose, whose form is up and down. I get that those might be renewals that you want to wait for as long as possible before maybe overcommitting to a guy like that. But 
I mean, you're talking about two out of your best three offensive players and you are a few months away from losing, like losing at least about for nothing. So it, it really is. I, I think if, if there's, if there's truth to this, I think it really paints a very, you know, a very bad picture of the club and, and its finances. We all know that they're not doing super great in that regards, but I, I think this might be the, the, biggest i think this might be the biggest indicator because you're not even talking about shelling out a lot of money in a transfer fee it's just kind of like contract renewal you're, you're already paying the guy you're just going to pay him slightly more just financially i think it's not the same as, as shelling out for a massive transfer fee which i understand they don't have but if it's even this like if they're unable to just renew the guys they already have it's it, it's it's looking tough it's looking tough for, for Juve fans. It's looking tough for Juventus. I think we might be staring at, at the face of, of a rebuild. or, or a, Of course, they're not going to say re- rebuild. They're going to say renewal or whatever it is, like a flashy other word. But it, it is going to be a definite big, big change in the ways if, if they can't get this done. And obviously, you know, kind of connecting the dots from the past now, it's like, okay, you know, why do you bring in somebody like Arriva Bene? Well, he's not necessarily a football guy, but he's a business guy. So in part, and I assume that part is rather large considering what Juve's finances have been the last few years, his job is to try and get the financial portion of the club in better order. And how do you do that? Well, you try and not only say get younger, but you also try and cut the cost of what you currently have. So obviously getting rid of Ronaldo's massive salary will help the books at least long, longer term, you would think, but getting rid of Ramsey will help. But if you can somehow get the likes of Quadrado and to a lesser extent, Bernardeschi and others who are on bigger salaries to agree to lesser salaries, then that will help. And would you trust somebody like Pavel Nedved to try and get that done? <laughs> or would you trust somebody from a club point of view, would you trust somebody like Arriba Bene to try and get that done? And I think I would go with the businessman rather than the passionate, passionate Patrick Swayze lookalike. I mean, yeah, but also, I mean, Arriba Bene is coming in from the, from, from Ferrari's F1 team and uh, they didn't do particularly well under his auspices. I, I have a very and limited that's, knowledge. That's of also part but... of the problem. And I have a very listen, limited... if we're if we're right on, Sergio, since it seems like you follow F1 more than we do. Yeah. Yeah, no, they haven't been great. They haven't been yeah. great. <laughs> but but it's, it's you know, it, obviously it's not the same, but it, it's a completely different thing because the, the spots in F1 rosters are so, like you have two drivers per team. There's 10 teams, there's 20 posts. Pretty much the, the teams have absolutely all the leverage, right? Because there are so few spots and everyone wants them. That you know they kind of can play. You know, obviously, a lot, some pilots earn a lot more than others, but you kind of have the the negotiating power is with you. In, in instead of in football, look if 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 Juventus doesn't want to pay Paulo Dybala his eight, nine, ten million, whatever, you have at least like ten Premier League clubs who are just going to jump at that chance immediately. Like this is not, injured. yeah, this is not something where you can be like, oh, but you love it here, like. You really like Juventus. Why? Like, you know, there's a lot of other teams that if suddenly Paulo Duval is available, 
they are going to pay him what he wants. Like, that's just a fact. Like, you can only put it on the player for so long until it's like, well, okay, you don't want to pay me this. A lot of other teams will. So I, I think they just put themselves in just such a bad, bad negotiating position that it's it's really, I mean, if they brought this guy for his business acumen, I mean, that's just not super great that his very first big contract renewal with one of your star players is going so poorly. And, you know, that's neither here nor there, but I know that the whole Ronaldo thing was done with marketing in mind, I think. Easily, your second most marketable player was Paulo Dybala. If you lose him, then, you know, I mean, what are you doing? What are you following? What's the plan? It just seems like they, they move, they have no real, you know, way forward. They don't know what they want to do or what they want to be. And unless they figure that out, I think we're just going to continue to see this type of, you know, bumbling sort of strategies because they don't really know what they want to do. And also, Sergio, to your point that, you know, the difference between how in the past the renewals seem to just kind of come without any big fanfare or, or, or you know, rumor mill or anything like that, there is one single difference between then and now in that regard. And that difference is Giuseppe Marotta. I was going to say, is is he currently employed by Inter? He is. He is currently, unfortunately, employed by Inter. Beppe did things right, and since he left, the Juve front office really has not. You know, there. You know, you can say, you know, yeah, delict signing delict. That's you know, good, good call, good move. Signing Locatelli, good move. But really, what there's, you know, the, the negatives far away the positives with this front office ever since Pepe Monoto was forced out. And then, of course, he goes to your most hated rival and turns them into the team that ends your, mass, your, your winning streak. And they're only trending up. They, lo- they lose Conte, they lose Lukaku, and they look even better than they did last year. And, you know, here we are looking at, at and, and all Juventus is doing is just promoting the next guy in line that has at Exor or within their, or within their own hierarchy and expecting different results. You know, at some point things have to have to be shaken up. You've got to get, you know, we got Beppe Marotta from outside of the club. You know, we got him when he was, when he was at Sampdoria, he he got Sampdoria into the Champions League qualifiers for God's sakes. It, it's really, I think, his time to start looking outside the organization for that renewal again, and the front from when it comes to the front office, because I don't think anybody, I, I don't think there, I think there are too many Andrea Agnelli yes men right now, who, and and, and I, I, it's becoming more and more clear that Agnelli has lost this plot. He's lost this thread. And it's it's just going it, to, right now, it just keeps on going downhill from the front office perspective. And I think it's just that they need to stop thinking like Juventus of 2017, 2018, you know, where they were at the top of the world making 80, 90 million euros, euro signings. I think they're just not that club anymore. Just, you know, COVID, Ronaldo, whatever, you know, whatever is your 
your reason of choice. They're just not there right now. I do not want to hear Juventus linked with Blahovic. Like they just don't have the money. They won't have the money. That is not who they should be chasing. To me, who Juventus should be chasing is your your Carlos Tevez, your Arturo Vidal's, your Andrea Barzaglis, dudes that you know they're not expensive. That you're taking sure gambles. They were at the time there were gambles that paid off. They're not expensive. You have to be looking for the next guy. You have to be looking for the guy that you can afford right now and then that is going to develop and that you're going to build your team that way because Juventus is right now, they, they cannot compete and they will not compete against the Premier League teams. They cannot compete for the finished product. They, they should not be even in the same remote world as Blahovic or Haaland. All, all those dudes that are going to go for like three figures in the millions, right? Like they have to go back to that. That was what made them successful. That's how they really built that team, making those smart, savvy, cheap moves a la Weston McKinney. I, I thought to me that was the first one that was like, yeah, that's an old school vintage Juventus move in which you get a guy that absolutely no one outside of the United States even knows about. Or unless you're a Schalke fan who, you know, maybe there are some out there, but, you know, nobody knew about the guy. You loan him. He's suddenly really good. And now you have a really good, really cheap player, really young player on your squad. Like that's how you that's how Juventus build their best teams of this of, of this past decade. And they suddenly kind of turned away from that because they suddenly had the money to do it. But you're right back into the position that you don't have the money to do it anymore. You have to go back to that. And, and I think they're still not quite, I don't know. I, I guess they haven't really realized that yet, but that, that's the way forward for Juventus, I think. I've said it before. This is what happens when you act like a brand and not like a football club. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the future of football, <laughs> really, at this point. Yeah, desperate d- despair for revenue. So we're going to have to be a brand uh, as much as I hate it. Before we transition to a couple of Twitter questions to wrap things up, I will basically just point out and the baseball fans on the podcast will know what I'm saying. My baseball team was very bad for a couple of years after a very good run of success with three titles in five years. And then they tried to operate things the way they did during those championship years. Sometimes that doesn't always work out. And the guys in charge were replaced why because sometimes in sports you just need new ideas in the building and i feel like juventus is at the point especially now and unfortunately (laughs) the coach is max allegri who doesn't seem to have very many new ideas with the way he wants to play his football but juventus just needs some new ideas in the building and who knows if that's actually going to happen or like sam said we're just going to keep promoting from within Let's jump into a couple of Twitter questions to wrap things up here. First one, which was actually submitted literally minutes after we stopped recording last week, but he made sure to send it again this week from at Juventino underscore BNA. If he doesn't come back to pre-injury form immediately, will Federico Chiesa be given a couple years to change his game like Alessandro Del Piero was given after his injury? I think he will get that chance just because they haven't paid for him yet. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's hard for me to see them, you know, buying him and then immediately selling him. Like, I mean, they're, they're stuck with, with Chiesa for better or for worse. I think it's going to be for better. I mean, I think, you know, medical technology has advanced so much in the last few years that 
you know, when, when an injury was an ACL injury, even 15, 20 years ago, that was it. That like, it was a career ending type of sort of deal. And, and now you're getting guys, even in like the NFL, you have guys that, that have that injury in our back within five, six months in a obviously much more physical game than, than soccer. So I, I think he's young. I think he has pretty much everything, you know, on his sides to make a full comeback, to make a return and to, to be the same guy that, that we know he can be and that he has been in the, in the recent past. So I wouldn't worry too much about it, but in the completely awful scenario in which his career is never quite the same, I think Juventus is going to write it out with him because they just have so much invested in Chiesa. And, you know, to me, it's a similar case to, to, to Sani all over and Roma, right? Like, they're not going to sell cheap on him because who wants a guy that's like injury prone and you don't know if he's going to come back to be the same guy that that he was and and they've invested in him so they're just going to write it out and, and see if he pans out right so i think juventus is going to go kind of like the same way i think they're going to they're going to give him every shot of, of getting back to to being the player that that we know he can be i could have sworn you said samuel just a second ago and i was like wait he's a coach now what are you talking about <laughs> I, I agree. I, I think you've got to, you, you, th- there's too much invested in Chiesa to, to just write him off. If he doesn't come back off that injury. And like you also said, Sergio, I think medical science, I mean, there, there is the odd, there still is the odd knee injury like Claudio Varchisio that just kind of makes you, makes it all kaput. Although Marchisio was significantly older than Chiesa when he got hurt. But you know, if if we had the same kind of 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 medical act science, you know, the acumen that they have now when it comes to dealing with knee injuries, back when Del Piero got hit, had his knee injury in the '90s, his career path might have been a lot different for the better. Because I mean, he had to significantly alter his game after that knee injury, uh, and he still ended up being one of the all-time legends of the game. But you know, who knows what he could have been if he if if he had the the kind of way that we deal with knees now. But yeah, I think that Chiesa will be fine. I think the one the one thing that w- does slightly worry me is should Italy get through their qualifying bracket and make their way back to the World Cup, which is happening in November, I worry about him trying to rush his way back to get into that World Cup roster when you know his 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 recovery time frame currently has him pretty much ready for opening the opening of the season next year. But you really should take him slower and not go too far too fast with him because he is, especially if something, you know, if Paolo Dybala ends up playing on another team next season, he is what he is your marketing. Like he is your front and center. He is everything about your team. At that point, you have to make sure that he that he works his way back fully before you you throw the entire load onto him. You know, slow play him. And this this is one of the things that kind of resulted in a bit of a breakdown in their relationship. But uh, Antonio Conte kind of really slow played reintroducing Fabio Quagliarella back into the team in 2011-12 after Quagliarella had that knee injury in, in January of 2011. It probably ended up being better for Quagliarella in the long run, although Quagliarella, I think, would have wanted to play more at the beginning. but. You know, then he ended up being, uh, he ended up doing really well there. So just don't rush him back. And then I think everything will be fine. 
I'll just add one small quick thing. I mean, Chiesa, he's only 24 years old, so it's just too early to tell. Yeah, it's too early to tell if, like, you know, writing him off after this injury or not. Um, yeah, let's just give him time. And, I mean, in terms of the World Cup thing, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I was reading seven months that he has, so that will put him around uh, September-ish, early September. And then, yeah, the World Cup starts in, what, November. So, you know, uh, you would have to – you would have, like, a month and a half, basically, to get – to match fitness, which I mean, I think it's reasonable. So uh, I'm not too worried about that, I guess. And uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, he's, he's too, he's, he's only 24 years old. It's too, you know, it's too early to tell on like, you know, is this the end of him or is this the end of his Juve career or anything? Alrighty. Next one here from at old man underscore rod, considering that he wasn't supposed to start against Milan on Sunday. How impressive was Daniele Rugani? I think Sergio should answer this one first. Yes, go for it, Sergio. <laughs> yeah, he was fine. He was good. <laughs> nice and to the point. All right, back to you uh, with the weather. Yeah, okay. next, look, you're, you're next. To be fair, I, I'm, I'm going to give him some some credit, some love. I know I've been been rough on him because he's been generally bad. But, you know, he was good. He was good. And to be honest, he's stepped up this month. He really has stepped up this month. I... I was okay with anything other than disastrous. And he's been much better than that. He has been above average pretty much consistently this month. I, I, I really did not see it coming to me. I, I have, you know, Mattia Di Siglio, Daniele Rugani and Federico Bernardeschi kind of in the same bucket. It's like they have shown flashes and they have played good, but now you have Bernardeschi kind of, you know, falling back to, to earth after his, great finish of, of 2021 and you have Matias Isilio having a so-so to bad game tonight against Milan after his you know little streak of good performances you know because you know the the history is there that they're not that great they have the talent to put good performances to have flashes to perform on occasion you know right now I think we're seeing that from Rugani and to his credit he was the fourth fifth choice center back I mean you know he was not supposed to be playing like this and he is well you know just write it out until he turns back into the, the Daniel Rugani will know and hate and then you know you can you you weather through the storm so that's exactly his job and, and he's doing it phenomenally I mean kudos to him he's been just so much better than I thought he would be which granted the bar was very low but still he's been Pretty, pretty decent. Good good job on him. I thought he was the best Juventus player on the pitch. Um, yeah, all right. You know, I mean, just, there, you know, there were, but, you know, he was good. He was who, good. Who, who, who else was better on, on, the, on the pitch today? I thought Bentancur, maybe, uh, which I've ben, criticized Bentancur, him a lot. Bentancur, is the, um, Bentancur, I think, is the only person that has a real argument to get up there. But, you know, he led the team in clearances. Uh, he was just... You know, anytime that there were a couple of times where they were trying to just feed Leao down his channel and he just went in and said, no, nah, and just got the ball out. It was and and he's also he's he's started to get a little bit of a physical streak, and a little bit of a mean streak in him, which is was always one of the knocks on his game. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that he's I mean, I certainly wouldn't be starting him in place of one of the other three center backs on the team if we absolutely, you know, if you're if you're making that as a, as a technical decision, but he, I think had the best, the, the best, the best day out of anybody in, in black and white today. Yeah. Like I uh, mentioned, you know, it 
feels like a new signing, honestly. Um, again, not like he's, you know, like, oh, the Ballon d'Or, but like the fact that he's competent and just, you know, playing well just means that, okay, we now have another option at center back in case we need to rest Licht or, you know, Chiellini or in case Bonucci stops being, uh, I don't know, uh, supposedly a thug in the Inter game. I don't know. But um, no, he's uh, hurt. He's hurt. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. I read some things about the Inter game. I was like, oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. Again, speculation. But speculation. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Allegedly. What do I know? All right. Last question here from David Desperk at the True RAC. Too early, but similar to how we had this conversation last year. And considering, yes, the roster is problematic, and yes, we can't get rid of him. Has Allegri shown you enough this season to make you confident in him moving forward? If so, why? If not, what are your reservations? I mean, look, you know, Allegri, again, at this point, I guess the good and bad thing about him is that there are basically no surprises about him. You know, again, like the suicidal pragmatism was just a very poetic term. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's just what you're going to get with him. Like, yeah, I mean, there's no, like, I mean, there's nothing, like, when people criticize Allegri, you know, rightly, mostly, but I just say, I mean, you know, look, this is not, like, like, don't act surprised. I mean, this is not, like, whoa, what a revelation. I mean, I mean, that's Allegri. Yeah, I, you know, defensively, I think he's brought some stability stability back. Uh, we're the tied for third best defense um, with our neighbors, uh, Torino. So the city of Turin is uh, keeping, uh, keeping the, the goal clean. Yeah, so I mean, you know, again, defensively good. Yeah, offensively, obviously not great. Yeah, overall at this point, I would give him, you know, at least another year for sure. Just again, I mean, you know, how many options are there out there? Yeah, how many options are there out there in terms of coaching? I know DJ Deschamps is a kind of long wished for coach at Juve. Um, but I mean, he seems, seems to be quite busy in uh, in uh, France. So yeah, I mean, if not just for the reason of, I mean, there are no better options. So, yeah, I mean, just keep Allegri for now. And yeah, I I have no particular issues. I think the bigger issue is obviously just the just the composition of the team. Um, yeah, I wish Allegri would take a little bit more risk uh, again with the whole Locatelli thing, playing him higher further up the pitch, and then I don't know, Locatelli, Artur. Arabio, or just Locatelli, Artur, and someone else to play Locatelli higher up the pitch. Yeah, a little more risk there. Yeah, sure. But besides that, again, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, keep him. I mean, the the big the big concern that I have right now with Allegri is that you know, and you know, in his first tenure, we've always we always went through the the cycle of you know a little bit of a bump in the early part of the season things aren't really clicking. And then eventually Allegri finds, you know, the right mix. He makes the formation change. He makes, you know, he comes up with a, with an idea, like, you know, when the four, two, three, one came in during, uh, during the 17 to 16, 17 season, and you'd end up with the best Juve that you can see uh, that he could put out and they would, and they would start to perform better. I think we've seen the best Lineup that I, I said I said I said this earlier. I think we've seen the best lineup that this team that this roster can offer, but Allegri's not using it, and I don't understand why. You know he's he's not going anywhere. Juventus cannot afford that kind of dead money right now. He's on a nine million euro a year contract. He, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. But 
the the one thing about Allegri that was always you know a constant that that idea that he would find the right mix and and the team would rev up. It looks like he's discovered the right mix. He's just not using it, and whether that's because he's just too constitutionally against that kind of attacking lineup, or if it's something else entirely, we're gonna you know I just we may never know, but. He's he's not used he's he's got his his best combo. We've seen it. We've seen what it can do. Yes, against lower level teams, but you've got to fight play the lower level teams, you know, too. If it works there, you've got to try to get in the big games, and he's not doing it. That's that's my big concern. Yeah, I, I think it was the, the podcast right before the break or, or the one we did during the break, and, and similar similarly question, similar-ish question came came on that it was like, oh, what, what do you want to see? And I was like, I want to see some improvement, some consistency, something that tells me that that the ship might be headed in the right direction. And I I think I we're seeing that. I think when we signed up for Max Allegro 2.0, like Chuck said, it's like, we know what we're getting. Like, we know who he is. Like, it, it, he's not going to be a suddenly a different manager. Like, we know who he is. He is going to be pragmatic. He's going to be boring. He's going to be defensively solid. And more often than not, you know, he's going to win games. And the first half of, of the Juventus season, I think we just didn't see that. It, it wasn't a pragmatic team. It wasn't defensively solid. It was boring, but we were not getting, you know, th this was not what we bargained for, right? Like they were not an Allegri team. And I think January with, with as many... You know, ups and downs, and and you know, bad results and and decent results and what have you. But I, I think we finally are starting to see that. I think we're finally starting to see Max Allegri figuring out some things. The team finally getting drilled down to the fact that they're once again very defensively solid. Like I already said, I think you know, I'm very much of the idea, and I've said this before that this team. There's only so much you can do with this team. There's you know, we have three years, three coaches, same results. Uh, this is not a particularly fantastic squad. There's only so much you're going to be able to do with this, guys. Is this the absolute best case scenario? Probably not. But I think he's doing a fine enough job with the people that he has, with the team that he has. I think you, you have to give him, obviously, like I said, this is a rhetorical question because they're absolutely not firing him. But... You know, you. I think there things are moving in the right direction. I think things are moving in the. This is same old Allegri ball, and Allegri ball is not exciting. But you know what? You're gonna win a lot of games, or you're gonna win a lot of titles that way because we saw we've seen that before. So, I think the same way that that we saw it with Andrea Pirlo, and I think you know, I think Mauricio Sarri he lost the locker room, so that's a different thing. But you know, if, if he hadn't lost the locker room, I I also agree that you should have given him at least another year. I think we should have given Andrea Pirlo at least another year. I definitely feel that you have to give Max Allegri enough time to figure out the team, to figure out transfers, to figure out who he wants to play for him, and then judge him. And I think the Juventus, you know, board is is on that same page because they gave him a very long contract. So I, I think it's it's just wait and see. It's it's a boring answer because it's pretty much conceding that we're not going to win anything this year or. Maybe the Copa, who knows? But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it is Allegri. Of course, it's going to be boring. But in the long run, you know, he has shown to be a successful coach that wins. So 
you have to I, I think you have to go with with history here all right Chuck so it doesn't mean playing Aaron Ramsey as a regista yeah yeah that's a prediction that's coming to that's going to haunt me till uh, till my grave I guess <laughs> I think we should all consider that that this might be the last week uh with Aaron Ramsey on the team right yes. there's a possibility there's a chance yes and we will have a a career Juventus career review if he is to leave within the next few days on next yeah, week's that, episode that that should be quick right yes it'll only take a couple of minutes <laughs> come on crystal palace all right well as we await the aaron ramsey departure news uh we will wrap things up there uh thank you all for your twitter questions we oh, sorry one one quick shout yes, out to that. yes <laughs> yeah i know it's always come on <laughs> i'm starting to get going in my school <laughs> So I hate to, to I hate to interrupt your your, your flow there. Uh, just shout out to uh, Hunter uh, Hunter Sharpless for uh, uh, the birth of his uh, son uh, Monty, yes. I think it was. So, uh, congratulations, uh, yes. our former writer at uh, Black and White and Red All Over. Yes, we we will acknowledge Hunter, even though he is no longer one of us. Yeah, In- traitors are recognized. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So congratulations, Hunter. And if you were actually on Twitter, maybe you could send us a Twitter question. How about that for transition, Chucks? So good choice, though. Evan. Good choice. And great transition. <laughs> Thank you. So, as I was saying before, I was rudely, rudely interrupted by Chucks. You can send your Twitter questions into us at Juventus Nation on Twitter. You can also follow us there, as well as on Facebook. Search Black and White and Red all over. You can also use that same search tool. On your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to leave us a rating and review. We always appreciate those. So, for Sam, for Chucks, and for Sergio, this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening. And we will talk to you guys next week during a little international break action. <laughs>